Welcome to the Accrescent Podcast. I'm Leanne, and I'm so excited that you are tuning in to my Release 2020 podcast series. This is a series of short interviews with people from all walks of life sharing their experience with COVID-19 during this year 2020. I'll be asking each guest questions like, what was the hardest part of COVID for you? Did you notice that you had higher levels of stress, anxiety, or even depression? In those moments of heightened stress or anxiety or depression, how did you notice your behavior or thought processes changed? What were things that made that stress worse? And what were things that made it better? Did you learn anything new about yourself? And going forward, what can you shift or adjust or pivot to have a better response in the future. There are no right or wrong answers in this series, and this is in no way meant to say that there is a right or wrong response to dealing with COVID. In fact, the goal and mission of this series is just the opposite. It's just to highlight each person's unique experience with this. Throughout the entire year, I have been hearing people, friends, family, people on social media saying things like, I just want to forget 2020, I want to pretend like it didn't happen, and to me, I have learned so much about how repressed emotions over time can really manifest as physical disease and really just linger and create this festering unease or dis-ease within the body. And so I wanted to do something to encourage people not to just forget 2020 and pretend like it never happened, but rather to take a pause and acknowledge whatever the feelings were that came up this year. And I know it's hard, it's easier said than done, but I think if each of us can, to even some extent, bring up the feelings, acknowledge them, process them a little bit, learn what we can from them, and then release them. And so that's why the series is called Release 2020. I think all any of us can do in any given moment is respond to the best of our ability. And so many of us may have felt like we didn't respond the way we wanted to this year or like we lost time. And again, the messaging of this series isn't, well, you should have done this, but rather the messaging is just, okay, all any of us can do is look at how we responded and say, do I want to continue to respond in that way going forward? Or do do I want to make some shifts so that I can respond in a different way? Whether it's to COVID or some other type of very stress-inducing incident that comes in the future. So I think this is a beautiful opportunity for us to learn more about ourselves, how we deal with stress, what are the things that cause stress or anxiety or depression for us, What do we do when those moments happen? And how can we put things in place going forward so that maybe we respond to it in a better way in the future? And you guys know I love my challenges or the magnetic moments that I give you. And so the challenge in this series is to, for the rest of December, keep a piece of paper and just start by writing down all the negatives from 2020. Anything painful, And as December continues on, continue adding to that piece of paper anytime something comes up. And then on New Year's Eve, at the end of the year, we all together virtually will take that piece of paper of all the negatives from 2020 
and physically burn it on New Year's Eve right before 2021. So I hope you'll jump on board with that. I hope listening to these interviews inspires you to think about these questions for yourself. And I think it can create just a beautiful ripple effect of if your partner or your children see you making that list of the negatives of 2020 and processing it, learning from it, and then releasing it, hopefully it inspires them to do the same thing. Lastly, if you do find this series thought-provoking, helpful, inspiring, please consider sharing an episode or two with a loved one. You guys sharing these episodes really is the biggest way that people discover my podcast. And so it means so, so much to have your support in that way and see it in that way. If you do listen, consider taking a screenshot, throwing it up on social media and tagging me. It absolutely fills my heart with joy to see you guys listening, hear your feedback and your responses. So please tag me in something, send me a direct message on Instagram. I always include my social media links and my website in the show notes where you can find me. And with that, please enjoy this Release 2020 podcast series. Well, Dr. Tracy, welcome back to the Accrescent Podcast. Thank you so much for asking me back. I'm happy to be here. So let's, I, I know you've already been on the show and I'll definitely link that episode before. And I'm so excited to have you on for this series specifically because I think you have a lot of really interesting angles to take when it comes to COVID. You're a psychologist. You're also a wife with a husband who's living at home. You also have a child. So there's so many different angles and I hope we can dive into each of those just a little bit. But if you can just start, give us an overview of um, where you live, your profession, if you want to go a little more in depth and anything you feel comfortable sharing so people can kind of wrap their heads around your situation and the environment you were in. I love that. I would love to do that. So I'm 30 years old and I identify as female and I live in Laguna Beach, California, and um, I am married to my husband of 15 years. I have a two-year-old little boy. I am a licensed clinical social worker and have a doctorate in clinical psychology. I run a lot of social media platforms that have a ton of followers. And the reason why I bring that up is because it's a very tedious task. And so anyone who feels like they have to always be keeping up with something may resonate with that aspect of my life. And then I own two treatment centers. And so I work with really high acuity clients, 15 to 20 clients, 15 staff members. Um, and then I have my mother who I just hired actually to work for my company. So I've been training her all week. And then my dad at actually moved in with me this year. My mom and my dad are 50 and 51. And my dad moved in with me this year and was diagnosed with MS. And oh, wow. he's been having a lot of symptoms that started in February. And it's just been getting progressively worse throughout the year. And so now he lives with me. Um, and I take care of him. And so I have all of that stuff going on at the same time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, okay, <laughs> we're gonna have to break this down. So there's going to be so many things, I'm sure. But if you had to highlight one right now, what would be the biggest or the hardest thing for you dealing with COVID? And I, you might even need to break it down into like personal and professional since it's so different 
Yeah, I yeah, I think that's good. I think I will break it down into personal and professional. And so personally for me, you know, one thing that I, that I wanted to mention and didn't in my whole line of things that I just said was I have a severe anxiety disorder. And so personally for me, with everything that has been going on this year, globally, just even thinking about COVID-19 and the pandemic and the shutdowns and the social distancing, um, my I already had really severe anxiety because of everything that I was doing. And then adding this on, which I'm sure is something that people can relate to if they have a mental health disorder of any kind, this year either probably did one of two things, probably either maybe it got better. Maybe someone had social anxiety and they actually liked staying inside more often. Um, and that's one example of it helping you know, your mental health disorder or it got worse. It just got so much worse because there was just so many, you know, they throw this word around unprecedented, but it really is, you know, we were not taught how to handle this and it came out of nowhere. So personally for me, it was that my anxiety was really, really severe to the point where once my social media platform started picking up and I was getting, you know, over like a million people, I, I didn't know what to do with it. And I felt like because I'm a therapist professionally, people were looking to me to provide them information on how to get through. And I was faced with this difficulty of trying to take care of my own mental health and feeling like I was also taking care of a million people's mental health all around the world. And mm -hmm. so my anxiety got so bad that I developed, um, I won't say the clinical term, but I developed a skin picking disorder and all over my face was the problem. Like I was just like little, you know, like I would just do it to, I don't know, to ease my anxiety so bad that I had to like buy, and this was back in like April, I had to like buy all this different kind of makeup and I like couldn't come on camera for a while. So my anxiety got really, really bad. And I had never had those type of symptoms before. And I'm actually on anxiety medication now because the environment hasn't really changed. Like we're still in lockdown. People are still passing away. The pandemic is still here. So I'm on medication now. So basically the most difficult thing for me personally was that my anxiety got more severe than it had ever been in my whole life. And professionally it was, you know, so I work in substance use and mental health treatment in about a middle acuity level right now. Um, but I'm also opening up the high acuity. So people that need detox, people that are thinking about ending their lives. And so professionally, it was how do I one, how do I handle these? How do I handle my clients now? When what they want help with, is being affected by the environment. And normally it's like, okay, you want to change your internal thoughts and feelings and behaviors, but you also want to change your external environment. And we can't change so much of our external environment right now. And so the relapses would happen and the symptoms wouldn't be improving because there's always something to be anxious about or to be depressed about or to be traumatized by, especially this year. And so it was, how do we manage our clients or help our, how do we manage our client symptoms and how do we help them manage them themselves? And then how do I manage my staff when some of them are really new therapists and how do I, how do I train them how to teach people how to reduce their depression and anxiety when we're in the middle of a pandemic? And so it was kind of trying to balance how to help people's mental health while also helping my own.
Yeah, because you not just not just in a metaphorical way on social media, but in a very real way, you were the leader to these your staff members, your your patients. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine there was this level of pressure of just like, okay, I need to get my shit together Mm -hmm. so that I can be there for these people and also help them keep their shit together to some extent. Completely. It was, you know, I don't know, like they just can't. I think coming from a professional standpoint, I think every single professional, I guess, every single type of career this year was impacted in some way. Like teachers, they didn't know how to teach students during a pandemic, parents raising their kids, bosses with their employees, therapists with their clients, like parents with their children, partners together. We none of us knew you know, how the hell to handle this, especially when it comes to how it affected our mental health. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I'm really asking people, because I think, and I said this before we started recording, is the goal of this isn't to say, well, here's what you should have done. Here was the appropriate way to respond. But rather, it's just to get people to look at, okay, how did I respond? What did I do? And in those moments of heightened stress or anxiety or even depression, what are my defaults? Where do my thoughts go? What do I instinctively want to do? And hopefully if people can start to recognize some of those things, it can help them maybe put some things in place in the future that make it not be so intense or so hard going forward. Right. So for you, what did you notice anything new, like when that anxiety was at its peak or you had like a huge hit of it, do you have some of those instinctual things that you immediately do? You mentioned the skin picking, which was something you developed, but do you also have like negative thought processes you go down? Yeah. So I, okay. So as a therapist, I think I know a pretty good way to explain this. And so normally when someone has anxiety, they do a few things. Either they'll want to like release that anxious energy that's within them and they can get angry or they can like want to fight people, or they can want to like numb out those behaviors, or they can um, freeze and like become isolative and immobile. And, you know, because, you know, a lot of people think, okay, you're depressed, so you're laying in bed and you're not getting out of bed. Sometimes people with really severe anxiety do the same thing. And that's what I did. We were working from home. Most people were. And I was having such bad anxiety that I literally wouldn't leave my bed. I wouldn't leave my bed. And that was something that that was a go-to. It was like, don't answer text messages. Don't answer phone calls. Um, Just stay in bed and stay in your room. And so my husband and my toddler would be playing downstairs and I just literally couldn't leave my bed. I could not leave my room. And so, and that's something that I always knew was a pattern of mine of like, okay, if you're feeling anxious, like retreat, retreat. But it became so extreme Like even like my grandparents that I haven't seen in years came to meet my son and I couldn't come downstairs. So they drove for hours and my, I was was having so much anxiety and so much panic that I literally did not go downstairs and even see their face. Mm. And so I isolated and it was super intense. And so I guess that was one of my go-to things was like retreat, isolate, and like seclude yourself from everyone because I couldn't taken any more sensory information than what was already going on inside my body. So that was one of my go-tos. And then I think, you know, my thought pattern, because I'm like this public figure and I'm a boss and I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I'm a daughter taking care of both of her parents. It was like, like you better put yourself last. 
And that was sort of a thought pattern for me. It was like, put yourself last other than figuring out whatever the hell it is that you have to do to show up for these people. It was never like relax to take care of yourself. It was don't relax, do whatever you need to do to, to show up for other people. So that's kind of what it was retreat and then put myself last. So then what were some of the things, and I think it can be super helpful sometimes to just be in that space. But I imagine you got to a point where you were like, okay, this isn't very sustainable. Um, I don't want to keep doing this. And so what did you find really helped get you out of those moments, bring the stress down, recenter you in all of it? That's a good question. And I think I have a pretty unique answer. So I was like losing my shit. And I, I just, I said, I'm going to sell the company. That's what I went to. I was like, I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to sell the company. And I literally put it on the market and I got all these offers and I followed through with, I almost, I almost sold it. I was a, it was a two month process and I was a week and a half away from saying, I'm just going to get rid of all of this stress. If I can't control the stress of the world around me, then what, what can I control? I can get rid of my business because I'm, because I can't do it. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening have probably had, I'm going to quit my job. I don't want to be in college anymore, you know, or this marriage isn't working for me. You know, there's been like a lot of divorce this year and it, well, people yeah. just wanting to escape and leave whatever the hell it is that's stressing them out too much. So I thought that that was going to be my solution was let's just say no to all the responsibilities. And a week and a half before I was going to do that, I, one of the people that was going to buy my business said, <clears throat> you know, I've never met anyone like you before. You can handle so much. And I think it's because you hold everything with your heart and not with your head. And I was like, and he said, and I hadn't, I've never met someone like that before. And I said, wow, that I've never had someone say that to me before. And I realized that I was holding all of my anxiety in my head and I wasn't using any of my heart anymore because I was so anxious. So then I said, never mind. And so <laughs> never mind. I'm really, and we were like, what? Like we didn't buy this other company because we were going to buy yours. And I said, listen, I'm going to have to deal with whatever you guys think about me for almost leaving and then not leaving, but I have to make this decision. So I thought that the answer was to run and I realized that it wasn't. And so what I did instead was I started making decisions for myself from my heart instead. And it actually, and, and what do I mean by that? I mean, I actually tried to tap into the emotions of what I was experiencing instead of trying to listen to all of the overwhelm that was going on in my head from my thoughts and using, you know, using mindfulness, which is what I used to like help control my body because it felt so out of control. Um, and so that was really something, I mean, it was, it was basically almost jumping off the edge and then not doing it. Um, that made the biggest difference for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And can you, from a therapist, from a psychologist standpoint, explain what you mean by mindfulness? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Well, so I have a pretty interesting take on mindfulness and, and I think most people who, who hear mindfulness, they think like, okay, quiet your mind, um, create space between yourself and your impulses. So before you yell, before you talk, before you act. Um, and that all is mindfulness. And I definitely engaged in some of those things, grounding techniques, um, listening mindfully, speaking mindfully, eating mindfully, moving mindfully, which is just 
it's being ever present and aware of what's going on in the moment versus allowing your anxiety to take you into the future or guilt to take you into your past. But I, and I think, so I think people are resistant to mindfulness because they're like, I can't quiet my mind or I can't do things slowly. And for me, what it really was is like, I have this example of being mindful. It's like, most people think that if you're mindful, then you're not going to yell as an example. But sometimes being mindful and engaging in mindfulness is simply having your mind's eye open while you yell, like while you yell so that you're like, fuck, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it. And then afterwards, and then being mindful of watching how your body lowers its chemicals. So then you're no longer angry. And then watching if you have any thoughts about how you would do things differently. And so mindfulness isn't about being this positive, spiritual, ever kind person, even though that's the end goal. Mindfulness is watching what you're doing that you don't like and not even necessarily trying to stop it, but watching it so that you can learn about it. And so that's what helped me. It was watching how I was allowing all of my thoughts to control me while they were still controlling me so that I could form a relationship with what it was that I was suffering from. So then I could start to make a choice to no longer suffer from it. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. And it's, I think that's like one of the ultimate places we want to get to of, again, it's not about repressing the emotions. It's about letting whatever's going to come out, just come out. Mm -hmm and being aware of it and then using it to say, okay, right. Like, do I want to keep doing this again and again? And if I do, it's okay, mm -hmm. but I'd like to try and like implement some things that might reduce the occurrence of these outbursts or whatever it is. But I always tell people like, if I'm driving and a song comes on and I just want to cry, like I just cry. Mm -hmm. And there, because there's a reason, I really feel like there, there is something in me that that song evoked and needs to get mm -hmm. out. And so I'm going to let it out. Right. Um, so I think that's beautiful. And you said it in such a way that will really, really resonate with people. I think. Mm, thank you. So, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm stressed because <laughs> there's so many places I want to take this and hear from. Um, so what about things that tangibly made the stress worse? Mm -hmm. And once you notice those things, what did you do? How did you keep those out? of your mind or your life, as you said, like sometimes it's really hard to control the environment, especially in the situation we're in. But if there were things, a lot of people said things like listening to the news mm -hmm. made it so much worse. I had to stop watching the news. So did you have anything like that? Yeah. Well, two things came to mind. One is like a practical thing. I think the news was definitely really impactful. So that's one thing that I would say. Now, the thing is, is the news is everywhere. So it's on our phones and it's on the newspaper and people are talking about it in conversations and it's on TV and you get notifications, like literally notifications everywhere in your whole life about stuff that's going on. So I definitely had to mute. I definitely had to mute things in order for me, because like with anxiety, if there's something that makes us anxious, we can, or traumatized, we can see it once and then it lives in our head. And so it's like all that we're really doing when when we're already anxious or traumatized is like <laughs> and we're watching the news is we're just absorbing it even more and making it even worse Then it's inside our heads and it's outside of our heads. And then it feels like there's no escape. And so I definitely muted everything. And something else, you know, I said, like maybe some people want to leave relationships or leave their job or leave school or whatever it is. And that was actually something that I had to do over this. 
um, pandemic was I had two business partners that I was having a lot of difficulties with. And they were, they were just the relationship that I was in with them was very similar to the past relationship that I had with my parents and with everything going on with hiring my mom and my dad getting sick. And like, it was all very familial trauma that was coming up. And so I actually was like, so they're no longer my business partners. And so the reason why I bring that up is because I realized like this was a very chaotic and unhealthy aspect of my life that I noticed was actually like it became predominant throughout the pandemic. It was like everything is stressful, but there was this little peak in this one area of my life. And I was like, this is like really overwhelming me. And it's very clear now more than ever that this isn't working. It's not working. And, and so I had, and so we ended the business relationship and, and I've, you know, been running the business myself now for almost six months in the middle of a pandemic. And, um, but, but, and so I think that that's really important too. It's like, maybe sometimes we'll want to take the jump of like selling our business, for example, or dropping out of college, but then we decide not to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that are really impactful, like maybe just as major where we do have to say, okay, I am going to take that jump and I'm going to no longer talk to this person or I'm going to no longer go to this specific grocery store or like whatever it is, whatever we had to do to take care of ourselves. Or I'm no longer going to talk to that friend that has a different view on me than masks. And, and so I think, yeah, it's really, it's what I did was I just had to figure out where the toxicity was primarily being held in a place where I could do something about it. So a lot of times we hold toxicity and we can't change what that is. Um, but I could change this. And so we did. Mm -hmm. That's such a great distinction to make because I think a lot, oftentimes that's what a lot of people run into is, okay, I'm going to control what I can control, but it's all the stuff I can't control. That's just, it's festering in my mind all day long. And that's what for them really creates that downward spiral. So what are your thoughts on that? And, or for you specifically, how do you find you wrap your head around and bring peace to topics and forces that you can't control? That's a good question. I think that that's kind of like, so sometimes when people ask me on podcasts, like, what are you afraid of? And I'm like, I'm not afraid of anything other than physical pain. And the reason why I'm afraid of physical pain is because the, when the physical body dies, from all that we really know, so do we. We don't know what happens after that. So physical pain scares me. Nothing else does. And because I understand the mind and I know that none of us actually understand the mind. And so like people's words or people's actions, if they're not physical, like they just don't, they just don't overwhelm me unless like, you know, they're rooted in traumas before I was like consciously aware of how the mind works. Cause that shit sits with you the stuff that's really unresolved <laughs> that you couldn't do anything about when you were younger. It's like when that comes up and it reminds you of that, it's really overwhelming. And so I know that I cannot control other people. And I know that I can't really control, like I couldn't control how the government was going to handle this pandemic. I couldn't control when I went to the grocery store, if people were going to be fighting for basic necessities, like all I could really do was say, okay, I live in my body. I live in my mind and all that I can do is set boundaries for both of those things to try to not bring in anything that I don't want to bring in because I know that I can't control. I, 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 to a degree, I can't even control 
my own mind because I could have a brain tumor and I can't control my own body. Maybe I have a disease that hasn't developed yet that I don't know about. You know, we can only have so much control over ourselves. But I think healing in general comes from accepting that in an all totality, we can't control anything because we live in a universe that we don't understand. And we live on a planet that's way massive, way more massive than we could ever actually comprehend. And so for me, it's just radical acceptance, which I think people are like, well, yeah, I mean, I get it. I accept everything about myself. And it's like, but do you accept it and still judge it? And that's a huge difference because if you judge it, then you're not accepting it. And so I think that that's, I mean, that's what it is for me is to just set boundaries where I have to set boundaries and realize that I actually have no idea what the hell is going on. And if I don't accept that, then I probably won't be as happy as I want to be. What about, can you speak to a little bit, I'm not sure what your husband's profession was, but did you have anything, was that really difficult for you, especially having a child too? Was there anything different there that was hard to work through? Well, so me and my husband own our business together. And so he, but he primarily takes care of the baby. I don't, we sort of have the traditional gender roles reversed. Um, And so I think what was difficult was, Um, well, we were both at home more often and I, I reached a point where I really wanted to take care of my baby because I was always around him, but I had to constantly work and I had this severe anxiety and I couldn't leave my bed. And so I was feeling really trapped and I, and opposite to what I just described as what gets me through things, radical acceptance, I was having a difficult time accepting some of the choices that he made when it came to parenting, like when to put him to sleep or how long his bath should be or any of those things. And so we, we, were, we would get into arguments and my anxiety would be so high that I would like explode the arguments. And like I said earlier, like mindfully watch myself like be a fucking bitch and like no really not want to be but I was just so anxious and like so overwhelmed and I watched the way that I was behaving and I knew that it was inappropriate and and we've definitely overcome that hurdle and we actually grew a lot in our relationship because we learned we prioritized our own individual values when it came to parenting and saw how a few of our values were very different on the on on the list in terms of where they like in the hierarchy of them and we learned about ourselves. We're like, this is, so this is why we're arguing because our values are in a different place when it comes to taking care of our baby. But again, we've been together for 15 years. And so we were like, we knew we could figure this out because we'd been through way more difficult things than honestly, way more difficult than having to raise a toddler. And so <laughs> I think for us, it was, um, well, spending more time together, even after 15 years, spending more time together than we were used to Um, having different priorities in the same household and then trying to raise a baby that's just like, like a body full of like, like countless variables, you know, literally no idea what this like little human is going to be doing at any moment. And so it definitely got difficult. And I actually, I, so I, um, I think I, I find it really interesting to see how the media draws attention to celebrities so often in their lifestyle and then what the general public thinks about 
the celebrity aspect of someone's life. And so I like reading like the news when things happen to celebrities, because it seems like this top tier aspect of human behavior. And there were so many like notifications of like this famous couple's getting divorced, this famous couple's getting divorced, this like, it was like every other day for like a few months. And I was like, wow, this is like, I wonder what people are thinking about this. I wonder what people are thinking about how fame and money and success and fortune, it, it isn't going to make your marriage be okay in the middle of a pandemic if you guys aren't supposed to be together. And, or if, you know, if, if it's just too traumatic or too complicated and, and so from the celebrity level to someone who has a doctor in clinical psychology to the, the everyday household, relationships have been really uh, thrown for a loop throughout this pandemic. And mine was no different than that. And you don't have to talk on this too much if you don't want to, or if you don't feel comfortable, but what, what were you seeing come up the most with your patients? Mm -hmm. And I know you already said it was just, it's so difficult feeling like I'm responsible for helping people get through this. But did you find that, especially because you're working with a demographic that is so prone to some of these other disorders, did you find anything that you started to see, okay, this, this is really helping them get through this? Well, I mean, one thing that I saw in terms of like a detriment because of the pandemic was people, um, there was a such a higher level of hopelessness and helplessness that they weren't going to get better because nothing was getting better for a really long time. Things were actually getting worse. We had the pandemic. Racial inequality was finally surfacing and people were just, I mean, it was an existential fucking crisis on every single level. Like survival needs weren't in grocery stores. People were taking to the streets. We didn't trust the government, whatever. So there was so much stuff going on. It was like, how are we supposed to take care of ourselves? And so if you're coming into treatment and you're hearing these things like it's going to get better and like you're worth it and we can help you and then you leave, even if you're in like a sober living environment, if you have addiction issues, or if you're in a loving household, like you're an adult and you're in a, and you're living with your parents to try to manage your trauma or your depression, there's still the news. There's still everything that's actually going on right outside your front door. And so it was like, it was, it felt like this sustained helplessness and hopelessness that I had never seen before working in this field for eight years. And it was a little bit, um, like disheartening. Like it was like, like, why is what we're doing not working when it's worked so well in the past? And I had to keep telling myself, like, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Like I, there's so many things that I can't control. And so it was, again, this sustained helplessness and hopelessness. And then what helped was, a, I think it was actually teaching people what I've already said on this podcast, which was like, success and recovery and healing, it isn't going to like look perfect at the end of this uh, from a governmental level to an interpersonal level, to a family level, to an, to an education or employment level. Like it's not going to be resolved in the way that any of us may imagine it's going to be resolved. And so, and that, it, so that's like mindfulness. It's like radical acceptance that we have no idea what's going to happen. And it's being mindful of even the fact that we are becoming more hopeless and more helpless. It's like just being consciously aware of all of those things is what I think really helped. And that's a huge basis of my treatment center at Good Heart Recovery, which is in Santa Barbara, California, is like 
you internally and all of us, everyone listening to this podcast, we are all, I don't even know how to describe it, I guess. We are all an individual person. And then we have our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors and everything we've ever experienced in our lives and who we truly are. Nothing can impact that, you know, and that's something I was teaching them like that. No one can take that away from you. Everything, all the chaos that's going on in the world, no one can take that away from you. You can feel like someone took it away from you. Like this world is too overwhelming and you can't get over your trauma. And I get it. It can be trapped in your mind and your body, but no one can take away who you really are. And that I th honestly think was the number one thing that helped my clients. And that was like what, once they were able to be open to hearing it, you know, because they could just mm -hmm. have that wall of like, no, nothing's going to help me and I'm hopeless. But it was when those when the clients that were willing to opened up to the idea that I'm still safe internally, that they actually started to get better. Hmm, that's huge. Yeah, because there was just this huge feeling of I'm unsafe. I'm vulnerable. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say there, but that's that's beautiful. Mm, thank yeah. you. If you had, and I want to be really respectful of your time, so uh, I'll try and close it out. But if, you know, be, for the person who's listening who does have severe anxiety or stress or depression, and they're just having a really rough time getting through this, what are just a couple words of encouragement or maybe like the next step you would have them go to for those, for those individuals listening? Well, in terms of words, I mean, so as a therapist it's probably so individualized <laughs> well yeah it's individualized but when i think about it it's like I, i'm not really a like i guess you know i think i encourage people underneath what it is that i say but i i don't usually have like encouraging statements like you're gonna push through it or like you know things like that yeah I yeah, believe yeah. That. i fully believe that my tone is more so like you got to fucking radically accept what's going on, but like in a compassionate way. Now, that's not what I want to like end this episode with. But I think, you know, psychoeducation is really powerful. And so if someone has severe anxiety, I want you to know that what severe anxiety is, is your nervous system freaking the fuck out. That is what severe anxiety is. Your nervous system is all of the nerves that run from your brain all the way through your arms and your legs. They attach to every organ and your brain. And what's happening is your nervous system is freaking out because you feel unsafe in one way or another, whether that's real danger or perceived danger internally or externally, your nervous system is freaking the fuck out. And you are fully capable of having control over your nervous system, even if that means getting on medication like I had to do. I was like, this is too much for me. And so even if, so if we can't feel like we can handle it internally on our own, we don't have to handle it internally on our own. You can go get medication while you work on any other coping skills. So one thing, that's one thing that I want to say is anxiety. You weren't born, you were born with the ability to be anxious. You weren't born with anxiety. Okay. Something happened to you in your life. Maybe it was this fucking pandemic that made your anxiety really bad. <laughs> It doesn't mean that you are worthy of having anxiety. It means that you're worthy of not having it. And that the reason that you have it is because you want to survive. A lot of people think, oh, my anxiety is attacking me. My anxiety is going to kill me. Actually, you have anxiety because your body wants to survive. It thinks it's doing something good for you, even though it's torturing you. 
So that's the first thing. You can control your nervous system, even if it means taking medication. And the second thing is I want people to think outside of the box when it comes to their anxiety. Like for me, let's say I take a shower at like seven in the morning and then I go about my day and it's 1 p.m. and I'm having a complete anxiety attack. I will take another shower. Okay. You know, some people will think like, oh, okay, well, like I already took one, so I can't. And we have to think, what are these strange rules that I'm putting on myself that are blocking me from being able to actually take care of myself? Like, oh, I, I, a shower might help, but I already took a shower. Go take another shower. Go take another shower and lay (laughs) the fuck down in your shower with the water just blowing, like, you know, going directly on your face and just be like, this is this, uh, this is as ridiculous as my anxiety feels right now. And like, allow yourself to just like do things that are out of the box and alternative and maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because we need to shift what we're used to. So if we're used to this con this constant anxiety, then we need to do something totally different. And sometimes that can be the best solution is something that makes you feel the most uncomfortable because that means it's new. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm the queen of midday baths. So I am all for that. But yeah, I think too, so many of us oftentimes when it hits, you do sort of have that initial urge of something you want to do. And it might be like, I just I want to shower right now. Or maybe for some people, it's food. And I think it's okay to give into that Mm -hmm. and listen to that if it kind of gets you through that moment. But then the other thing I want to point out that you said was, and I've never heard it explained that way before of you're, you have so much anxiety because you have such a drive to live mm-hmm. and almost like switching that perspective on it. And so I think that can really help even for me in the moments of stress, like start with, oh my God, thank you body. Mm-hmm. Thank you for wanting to keep me alive. I understand that that's what this is. You're trying to tell me how much you want me to be here, yeah. but this, these feelings aren't going to actually keep me alive right now. What will mm-hmm keep me alive. And so I think that is a really, really healing way to look at it. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for recapping that. And it's so true. Yeah. It's important. That perspective shift can literally save people's lives. Okay. And then last one, I promise, (laughs) but we have to end on a positive note. So what are some of your 2020 highlights? Okay. So this year I, 1.4 million people found me all around the world for me to help them with mental health. (laughs) I... Crazy. Um, I started a top 20 Apple podcast in just three months. It reached the top 20 and it just got picked up by a podcast network. I, Oh my gosh. Congrats. Thank you. And I just signed a contract for, it'll start on YouTube, but it's a talk show with celebrities about their mental health. Um, And my baby boy turned two and I reached 15 years with my husband and my dad moved into the same state as me for the first time in 10 years. And I was able to hire my mom in her first non-entry level job where she's making more money than she's ever made in her life. And Mm -hmm. she feels very fulfilled and seen by that. And that makes me feel like a good daughter. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, those are some amazing things. I'm so excited. And of course, I'll always um, add your your social media in the show notes and your website. But 
oh my gosh, I'm so excited for all of those things to tune into those and your podcast too. I'll definitely add that to the show notes. But Dr. Tracy, thank you so, so much for coming on and giving us all your time, your advice, and just your heart. Really. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that this helps whoever listens.